Hi, welcome to What Are the Tax Implications? I'm Ron Scott. I'm Jeff Rosenthal. We are your first call tax advocates here once again to help increase your financial and tax knowledge. In today's episode, episode number 10, we'll be taking questions from callers on the following topics. How do I handle the income from my hobby? Do I get to write off the expenses? What are the tax implications? Also, offer in compromise. The deal that you try to cut with the IRS, making them an offer they can't refuse to pay off your liability. And emergency funding. We're not talking about the federal or state government emergency funds. We're not talking about FEMA. We're talking about personal emergency funds and things to consider on how to fund them. And what are the tax implications? Whether you're the CEO of your household or of your business, questions constantly arise regarding the tax consequences of your financial circumstance. First Call Tax Advocates is always here to answer your questions and offer educational background regarding the potential tax implications of your action. Ron and Jeff are your first responders. They are board certified financial and tax professionals with over 60 years of experience. Please visit their website, firstcalltaxadvocates.com. That's firstcalltaxadvocates.com. Learn more about them, explore their resources, and leave a review of your experience. For more urgent matters, please call them toll free at 833 568 8999. That's 833 568 8999. The topics and responses discussed here are intended for general education. Our discussions are not intended to give you advice on your specific situation. We would advise you to seek advice from a competent and licensed professional. Tax law is always evolving and our discussions are based on the law existing to date. Welcome to episode 10. Hey, Jeff, congratulations. Job well done, buddy. Congratulations, Ron, to you too. We got to 10. This is our 10th episode. Very exciting. It's exciting in a crazy world. Yeah. Things to do when you can't go out to restaurants and bars and get in trouble. So you, you stay home in your studio and you make podcasts. But it is our ultimate opportunity to speak to a wide audience and educate them and do what we've done our entire lives, which is help people, educate them, and when necessary, help resolve their problems. And I'm sure many people appreciate hearing about these things and kind of maybe forming a strategy to fix their problems. So hopefully we can help some folks. Hopefully you've done so in the first nine. And now let's talk about today's topic, Jeff. Hobbies. Hobbies are different than working with a for-profit purpose. Any definition of hobby or for-profit? Well, everybody starts businesses or starts side gigs thinking that, you know, this is going to be their their end-all, be-all retirement project, and maybe it's just a side gig that's 
going to later be reclassified as a hobby. So the first th thing is, why are you doing it? Which is the profit motive. We're looking to make money. If you're just doing it for the love of, say, breeding dogs or doing something else, and yes, you'll sell a dog or two, but you're not really in a bona fide business, then that's, that's clearly a hobby. But if you're not sure and you start it and say, hey, maybe I can make a few bucks, then we have to get into the nuances of the decision. Um, and by definition, uh, a business must have a profit in three of five years. So in any five-year window, it must have a profit of three years. So let's expand just a little bit on the dog breeding. So I'm imagining that there would be um, uh, bills associated with uh, the uh, keeping the dogs safe, you know, on your property, and then the veterinarian expenses, and then uh, food. So these, all of these expenses could pile up, and this hobby, this this enthusiast in breeding dogs, could end up shelling out a lot of money, but the dogs could bring in money. So. Um, my understanding of the tax code is in past years, those before 2018, hobby income was considered taxable income and expenses associated with the hobby were deductible. Were there any other limits to that, Jeff? Well, so if prior to 2018, if you had income, you could t deduct the expenses up to the income limit. So if you made $1,000 and you had $1,500 worth of expenses, you could only deduct that 1000 because that was what you brought in. That was the income that you brought in. Ah, so before we get to today's laws, and notice there is no caller today because our podcast producer... Chris Scott actually had this question because Chris has a few hobbies. Chris, That's can true. you describe them? Sure. Um, well, first of all, years ago, when before I became a podcast producer, I decided, hey, you know what? I missed my college radio days of having a show. Let me buy an audio mixer so I can do a podcast. That was a hobby. Just did it for fun with some buds. One of my friends was a comedian. He wanted to do a show. I had some friends that were big sports fans. We wanted to do a show. We did it for fun. But there were some expenses. The microphones I have, the mixer, the wires, the cable, the Adobe uh, Audio Suite, the Creative Cloud, all that stuff. These are all expenses that pile up. That's one thing. I'm also in a band. I was a sports blogger for a bit. These are just fun little things I did. But there are expenses. So tax implications of hobbies. What are they? Well, today, um, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act has, is now uh, controlling the hobby tax rules. And unfortunately, Chris, if you are um, not for profit, meaning you're doing it as a hobby, you cannot deduct any expenses against your hobby income. I'm sorry. That's what the new rule is. So it discourages people from just having a hobby, but it encourages people maybe to seek a, seek profits, have a profit motive. As Jeff mentioned earlier, if 
you show profits for three of the last five years, then you can continue to deduct expenses against the income of your ongoing concern of your for-profit business. And you would, Christopher, you would be a sole proprietor and you with your different hobbies and I'm air, right? I got the quotation marks in the air. So the current rule discourages, but encourages. So sorry about the, the uh, forcing you to have a profit. I know you, you mentioned being in a band. So sometimes you get paid good money when you perform. Sometimes you don't, but you have fixed expenses. So there's a bit of a challenge. And you mentioned the podcasting. So you're building a podcasting production business. Okay. That is certainly a for-profit motive, right? As we are one of your clients. And I know that you are actively looking for more clients. So that is a, that has a for-profit motive. Okay, but again, you need a profit of three out of the five years in order for you to continue to claim those expenses. That's correct, Ron. So, you know, Chris, like a lot of people, let's start a side gig. You know, maybe it'll grow to something. Maybe indeed the side gig will become the bigger entity in your life. And maybe that'll be, but you have no way of knowing. And right now, you know, it's just something that you're excited to do and maybe you can make some money. So again, the profit motive is king. Uh, Absent the profit motive, we go to the three of five rule. So Chris, we wish you the best of luck in all of your ventures. And um, again, I look forward to seeing the band live. I know thing, things are tough right now. I'm, I'm hoping to see you uh, back on stage, you know, in 2020. Good luck, Chris. Our next caller is Howie from Brooklyn. Howie has worked uh, to uh, negotiate as best he could with the IRS, um, but he's finding that what he owes is far greater than what he is willing to pay. And maybe he just doesn't even have the money. The opportunity that Howie may consider is the offer in compromise. And what are the tax implications, Jeff, of an offer in compromise? Well, that's a great question. Sorry that you're in a bind, Howie. Um, So, It's not as simple as it sounds. It's not as simple as what you might have heard on television. Everybody thinks, oh, I could just offer the government cents to the dollar and they will take it. That is not true. There is very specific rules that need to be met. There is a fee that you have to submit with your application. And basically, the government only approves less than 25% of those that apply for that. But offer and compromise is basically a negotiated deal sense to the dollar. So the IRS has come to their number. And how is looking to make them an offer? Hey, I think I can pay this much. What do you think? So here's where that tax professional, that tax representative is so important. Right, Jeff? Absolutely. So as I said, they speak another language. 
Um, and the financial statements that they require definitely is another language. Uh, you know, when they talk about government standards of living for your expenses, you're going to write down your rent or your mortgage and your car payments and this, that, and the other thing uh, and say, oh, that's it. Uh, this, is, this is my numbers. And the government applies something called government standards, which are published annually, which may very well differ from your numbers. So those government standards are kind of like living expenses, bills that you pay to live your life, right? right? And, and you would be shocked at what the government thinks you could live on. Living in the New York metropolitan area and living in uh, the state of New Jersey, you know, Jeff and I are subject to the higher cost of living. So somebody maybe in the more southern portion of New Jersey or the more northern part of New York State may have a different standard of living. So is it based on um, the state you live in, Jeff, or is it based on maybe a city or county? So the government standards are uh, regionalized and within a state, you can have regions within the state. So um, nearest locality. So certainly for us, the New York metro area would be uh, would be the standard. Um, and as I said, those are shocking numbers because you're going to write down all your expenses and then you're going to put them through the filter of what they will allow. And you'll see that it's a it's a much smaller amount, but they're not going to allow all my legitimate expenses. No, they're not. So, so Howie, you have an opportunity uh, to clear up your debt with the IRS. If you are successful, if they accept your offer in compromise, and you make that full payment to the IRS, um. That's a good thing, but, you know, you may also have a lien, a federal tax lien to deal with. And Jeff, is it an automatic that the lien goes away when the offer and compromise is paid? Does it just magically happen? Well, the government generally does the right thing. So if you've met all of the requirements, they generally will cancel the lien. Uh, if you owe them so much as a dollar, the lien will stand, uh, even if it happens to be on a totally different subject. So, uh, and sometimes you just need to say, hey, they haven't forgiven my lien and, and ask for that. So the key takeaway here, Howie, is negotiate smartly, respect the IRS, don't do it yourself, make sure you have a, a properly licensed uh, representative who's who's done this before and pay it in full get a receipt clean up all those loose ends like any liens or any occurrence of like oh you still owe it could be as little as a dollar clean it all up Howie and then you can start fresh good luck Howie Remember, the First Call Tax Advocates, Ron and Jeff, are your first responders. Board-certified professionals, over 60 years of experience. Visit their website, firstcalltaxadvocates.com. That's firstcalltaxadvocates.com. Learn more, explore, and leave a review. For more urgent matters, call them toll-free at 833-568-568. 8999. That's 833 568 
800-985-8999. And for you subscribers, we offer a complimentary consultation to discuss your tax matter. Our next caller, Kim from Cranford, has a question about planning for a future emergency. She didn't plan well for this emergency, Jeff, unfortunately, but she's saying, okay, I want to do it the right way going forward. So we're going to be talking about emergency funds, not the U.S. government or state emergency funds, not FEMA. And what are the tax implications of personal emergency funds? So Jeff, Kim has probably experienced some tough times lately and didn't have available money to pay for things and had to maybe wait for a stimulus check or wait for some other type of government help. So let's talk about some ways for Kim, some things for her to consider about funding an emergency reserve and what are the tax implications? Hi, Kim. Welcome to the show. So it sounds like having just gone through your bumps in the road, you took a hard landing and you're thinking ahead saying, gee, I never want to do that again. So um, welcome to the planning world. We commend you for that. There's a lot of ways to do an emergency fund. Uh, The financial planning world talks about three to six months worth of living expenses, but we know from the last bunch of disasters that many people in this country, the majority of people in this country, can't even put together a $400 emergency fund. So kudos to you for even considering the possibility of squirreling away some money. Ron, what are the kind of ways we can can give Kim some advice on this? So the... um The best emergency fund to have is when you need it, you have it in your pocket. So if you've got cash, and I'm reaching into my pocket right now, and yeah, I got some cash. So I have to pay a bill with with that. But uh, regardless, let's talk cash quickly. So Kim, let's say you put the cash in a shoebox and put it under your bed. That's a way to have liquidity in the event that you need it in an emergency. But Jeff, what could be some of the cons of cash under the bed? Well, so the obvious one, the house can burn down. (laughs) But the biggest problem is the loss of purchasing power. With the cash in the shoebox, it doesn't grow. So uh, you're, you're being influenced by the negative impact of inflation. You've lost purchasing power. So everybody out there with lots of cash on hand... Guess what your returns are? Negative the inflation rate. And I don't care what the inflation rate is. As long as it's a positive number and it's never been negative for more than maybe a few days in history, you're losing money. So cash is one way, Jeff. Um, What if uh, Kim opens up a savings account at a local bank? Right? How's that for an emergency fund? That's an excellent idea. I don't know how old you are, but when I was of school age, we used to have these school savings account where you'd put in a quarter or a dollar or whatever you had, and you had your fund. Of course, the grown-ups would do Christmas funds for Christmas club funds for similar kind of goals. But Kim, that's an excellent way of getting there. But what are the tax implications if I have a savings account? 
I can gain interest, right, Jeff? You would gain interest. So obviously that would be income. Uh, given today's interest rates, not a lot of income, but it's in a safe, secure, and insured vehicle, and it's available to you at any time. Okay, so bank savings account's great. What about, let's say, a brokerage account that has a cash uh, position? You might have 95% of your money invested, 5% in a money market. How's that? Well, similar kind of deal. A money market is just like a savings account in terms of low interest, but but uh, and it is protected to some extent, uh, and it is always available. So similar to savings, the interest is considered ordinary income, and that's the tax implication. But you'll you'll net more money than if you just had it in cash in a box under your bed. Yeah, that shoebox is scary. What about, um, say, cash value built up in life insurance? Well, that's available to you. You can take up to 80% of the money. It's not taxable income. It is your money. Uh, and it is one of the benefits of buying life insurance. It is an option for you to use if you need to. So you can borrow against the cash value. You could surrender, but I don't know if that's the best thing to do because of the value, that future value of the life insurance. So talk to your life insurance professional about that. Um, how about, you know, I've heard a lot about the 401k loans or qualified plan loans. Is that a good source for emergency funds? Well, let's go back to why do you need the money? If it's a bona fide emergency, then I would say anything and everything you have is on the table. So if you have an emergency and the money's there, that's what it's there for. What are the tax implications, though, of borrowing? I know that, Jeff, we talked about this a, you know, a few episodes ago, but let's refresh the audience. Well, if you borrow it, uh, you can... Um, Use the money uh, however you see fit. You have to repay it at some point. Otherwise, it will become taxable income. And if you're under 59 and a half, there's the income tax and the premature withdrawal penalty. Wow. Okay. Um, let's wrap this up with two very popular vehicles for emergency funding. So you jammed up. Ooh, you've got available credit on your credit card. Jeff, is, is that a good practice for emergency funding? Again, why are you needing the money? Is it just simply to, to fulfill a whim or is it because you have a bona fide emergency? If it's a bona fide emergency, the roof needs repair on your house, the car breaks down, then sure, the credit card is a good option. And lastly... What about OPM, Jeff? Is that a good source? Oh, the mommy and daddy ATM machine. Uh, other people's money. Uh, sure. A lot of people use that, use that vehicle if those people, A, trust you enough to give you the money, and B, they have the money available to do that. Other people's money. Let's not make that our, our strategy. Maybe that could be way at the end. Hopefully, Kim, you picked up a little bit from us today on what to consider for funding that future emergency fund. Good luck, Kim. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. You probably have additional questions, don't you? We are your first call. Remember, 
Everyone's situation is unique, but we should be your first call. We are your first responders. The 911 operator doesn't call you. Please call us toll-free at 833-568-8999. Again, 833-568-8999. And visit our website at firstcalltaxadvocates.com. We'd love to know what you've learned today. So please leave a review on our website. We have attempted to appeal to a broad audience, but we want to help everyone if we can. In our next episode of What are the Tax Implications?, We'll be discussing topics from callers, including medical expense deductions. How much of what I pay to be healthy can I deduct off my taxes? Additionally, we'll talk about the IRS exam. Yep, you knew we would eventually get here. The audit, the IRS examination. And what are the tax implications? And lastly, the nursing home, Medicaid, how does it all work out as far as paying those expenses?